Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I bring you insights from players, coaches, parents, and experts who are ingrained in the world of high-level tennis. Today is officially our 200th episode. We started back in August 2019, and I've done my best to release an episode every week. We've missed a few weeks, but some episodes I've even had two out there. So I'll keep trying to do that consistently moving forward, as well as get more great guests on the show. And if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're a long-time listener, I'd love to know what's been your favorite episode so far. Let me know by sending a message to me on Instagram or email me at podcast at functionaltennis.com. Today, I speak to former Australian Open winner and current coach of Sarana Kirstea, Thomas Johansson. Thomas gives us a look back at winning the Australian Open, what changed in his life afterwards, being forced to retire, his advice on the skills needed to coach both males and females. It's quite rare you see coaches being able to do this successfully. Also, he talks about the characteristics of top pros and a lot more. Really enjoyed the chat with him and I know you will too. Before we kick off the episode, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, ASICS. I would have in the past said they help pay the podcast bills in order for us to have great quality audio. But I messed up in London as I actually got no recording from my mic or the backup mic that I have. You may notice my voice a bit lower than Thomas's, but our podcast editor, Brendan, did a great job to try and normalize it. But in all honesty, ASICS are an awesome partner, both on and off the court. And if you've never tried a pair of ASICS tennis shoes or running shoes, next time you're due a shoe upgrade, please give them a go. I promise you love them. Okay, here's Thomas. Thomas. Yep. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thank you. How are you? Very good. Yeah. This what? is my favorite time of the year, to be honest. Grand Slam or Wimbledon? Both. I really like to spend time in London. I, I really like London. I have my friends here that I see once, twice a year. So, um, and you know, as a player, I, I really enjoy playing on the grass. So it's, it's nice to be back. How did you do here? Best result was semis. Okay, that's not mm. bad. Remember, well, of course, you 2005, there. I think I made semis. Uh, lost in four sets to Andy Roddick. Okay, well, yeah. what was, I don't think I've had anybody in the podcast before say what was it like to play Andy Roddick, but what was he like to play? Um, I never beat him. We played a few times. He was a very tough player to, to play, uh, also because of his serve. Um, I remember this match. Uh, we... Uh, it started to rain after the first set. So I was up 7-6, going to bed that night. And then I came back and he played really well second set. And then it was 7-6, 7-6, the, the uh, third and the fourth. So a very tough player. Um, great forehand, solid backhand, um, moved quite well. Uh, very tough competitor. So um, great great player so he was extremely tough to play should he have won at least one win do you think he deserved to have won yes one Wimbledon? yes i think so yeah. i think so yeah with the record that he had here and also with the level of his game yes i i think so you see you see him now he's pretty active on twitter he's you know he speaks out a lot yeah he's still quite young isn't he like yes you think he there's still players competing his age now, yeah so yeah i'm not sure how old he was when he retired must be in early 30s I think something like that. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a, he's a, gr a great guy. I really 
enjoy listening to him now also on uh, on TV and and like you said he's he's very active on on social media as well and um, you know I I I, I think he—I mean, he—he he was a, an unbelievable player, but I really like him as a person as well. Nice, and he retired young. You think you were saying you retired? You were forced to retire as well. Yeah. How old were you when you? I retired in two thousand. I would say, oh um, eight. I tried oh nine, but uh, I couldn't. So I had problems with um, my Achilles tendon for quite a long time and it came to a point where I felt like I, I can't stand it any longer because I was on painkillers. I, I did, you know, everything to try to release the pain. Then I had a surgery and they were very um, positive after the sur surgery and so I, I, I felt excited and um, but it never, you know, got to the point where I could um, practice the amount of time or the amount of sessions that I wanted. So my week was sometimes I practiced on the Monday. I could barely walk on the Tuesday. Then I started the end on Wednesday and then I couldn't walk on Thursday. And then I was in a lot of pain on Friday. So, and we both know that if, if you want to be a professional um, tennis player on the highest level, you need to be able to come to to do your homework as well both on and off the court and i could not so yes maybe i could play a match one day but i could not then if i play next day i was i was you know finished winning was a curse yeah, yeah. so um and it's tough because that's why i miss the tennis i miss competing um, i think many players that have stopped their career when they want to stop they don't have this desire to go back in yeah. um, and I never had that possibility unfortunately so um, and I'm not the only one I mean uh, there are many players that had to probably stop more than more have had to stop than yeah have yeah chosen to stop yeah and also you know being a tennis player professional tennis player is the, is the best job that you can have in the world um, you you travel around um, meeting interesting people uh, new places all the time and someone is applauding you entering the court. It's, it's, it's quite special, you know, and this is something that I really miss. Do you have to remind the players you work with that every now and again? Yes, um, but it's, uh, I was the same. I'm not blaming the, the players that I'm coaching because when I was playing, you're in such, you're in a, a sort of bubble. And I remember when I was, you know, I had my coaches in my career and they said, Thomas, you have the best job in the world. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't. It's, it's a, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of pain in the, in the butt, you know, to travel and you have to play and you have to practice and you have to eat right, you have to drink, you have to sleep, you know, and you don't meet your friends, you don't meet your parents. You... But it is the best job in the world. Um, because in, in which job do you enter the office and and people are applauding you and uh, you're on tv you're in the newspapers um people are stopping you on the street wanting a picture or an autograph or whatever this is the uh, this is the best job in the world the dream it's a dream yeah and, and so yeah. and so i want to touch on just after your career but before we get there 
2002, how did your life change overnight or did nothing change? Well, it changed a bit. Um, I spoke about it earlier today. I said entering that tournament, I entered with no expectations because my game was not there. But my physical strength was definitely there. I was very strong physically. Uh, Playing-wise, I was not playing well. I, I was not happy with my game. But we agreed that, okay, we go in and we fight. And we all know that sometimes if you can get through some matches, next day the game is there. Because the game was there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. First two matches were battle. I was fighting a lot. I managed to win. And third round, I started to feel, ah, now it's coming. It's coming, it's coming. And then it just got better and better the longer the tournament went. So I think the tiebreak in the fourth set against Safin was probably the best tennis I've ever played in my life. Um, did it change a lot? Yes, it did. Um, I didn't realize, and you know, you can see my reaction after that lob goes out. I was a little bit in shock. I didn't realize that I've won the biggest, one of the big, biggest tournaments in the world. Next day, when my wife and I went for breakfast, that's when it really hit me. Um, and also the night before, when I celebrated with the Swedish fans that had been supporting me for the whole two weeks, then it hits you that you've done something <clears throat> extraordinary. So, um, Do you have more respect with your peers then? Like, you more are in the changing room. Yes, that as well. And also, you know, coming to different tournaments, you had a lot more uh, obligations, like with media, with um, meeting, uh, you know, could be title sponsor of the tournament, uh, things like this. So I remember I came to Rotterdam and I didn't expect like a full media room with journalists and they wanted to talk to me and... And yeah, that changed for me. And this was a little bit of shock because I'm not a big, at that time I was not super social. Um, I wanted to be, you know, on my side and and I was quite, I was very quiet. And now it, if it would hit me, I would have been all over the place. No, yeah. I don't know, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a different uh, time of your life. Well, I'm sure, like, but the advantages of winning the Grand Slam yeah. change even after tennis. When now you're introduced as a Grand Slam champion, yes, it's easier to find more work. It's easier to work with other players. I'm sure. Yeah. So it definitely changes, puts you a step above so many other people. Yeah. No, I, I'm very, very happy with my career. I'm very proud. Um, I managed to win, like you said, a Grand Slam. I managed to win a thousand. I managed to win a 500, I managed to win a 250, and I managed to win Davis Cup. And then I didn't manage to win the Olympic gold, but I had the silver. You played Federer and Vavrinka that Yeah, day. exactly. That must have been. So, yeah, it was uh, tough opponents. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you, were, you retired 2008, 2009. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that the plan was to stay away from tennis. Yes. What was the plan? Well, I have a lot of different interests outside of tennis. So I was so sure that I was going to enter that path. But during my time as a tennis player, I had 
some people that I listened a lot to, a little bit like mentors. And some of them were connected to tennis and some of them were not connected to tennis. And they said, we support you in everything you decide, but I think you should try to stick in the area where you feel comfortable, where you, you feel comfortable entering a stage and they can pretty much ask you any question. And you are one of the few that have won a slam. You're one of the few that have had the career maybe that you had now talking about in Sweden. Um, if you enter another area, you're not going to be the top of the top. You're going to be um, starting from scratch. Um, you will have 10, 12 bosses on top of you. I don't know if you're used to this. You're like, I've never had a boss in my life. No, because I was the boss together with my coach. Um, so then I listened to what they said. And then they also said to me, try to do something now. My idea was to take a year off, travel a little bit, spend time with my friends. And they said, try to find something now. Uh, people forget very quick. So I followed their advice and luckily in 2010, we managed to get uh, the Stockholm Open. So I became the tournament director uh, between, so I was the tournament director 10, 11, 12. Okay. And were you working with any players at that stage? I started to work with Caroline Wozniak in 2012. So I combined that a little bit. Um, and then I started to like coaching. I really enjoy coaching because I, I want to be on that court over there, but I can't because I'm too old and too slow. Uh, but coaching is the closest as you can get to um, to playing. Oh, yeah, you're really feeling the player. Yeah. You can feel their emotions. And, yeah. And w yeah. let's say what players like you so you've coached you're different to most coaches where mm. coaches tend to just coach males or females yeah. they don't have the skills to coach both of them mm. how did you how did you learn to coach both males and females was it just from working with them taking your time out or did you read or follow or um i started my the first player i started with was uh, caroline Wozniacki, and i was coaching her together with her dad um so she was the first player that I coached. Then after that, I coached uh, Choric, Bona Choric. So then I went from a female to a male. And I noticed quite quick that it's, uh, it's, it is a big difference. And then I continued on, on that path. So I was working with Maria Sakari for almost two years. I was working with David Goffin for almost two or three years. And now I've been with uh, Solana Kistia since October this uh, last year. They are very different. I mean... All players are different, but male versus females are also very different on how you communicate, how you make, for example, a game plan before the match, how you practice, how you explain things. So I think, I'm not sure, but I think I've improved my communication skills. Uh, so my, my mentor when I'm coaching you know, um, female players is my wife. Yeah. And my mentor when I'm coaching male players is my former coach. Okay. So um, to try to, you know, improve and sometimes you forget the boss said, but Thomas, you were the same. And I was like, no, I wasn't. I was, I was not like this. And they said, yes, you were exactly the same. Yeah. 
So um, I also forget very quick. Yeah, true. And of all these players you've coached, mm. is there one characteristic that they all have that you can look through them and go, they all had this one thing that makes them special? Well, they're all very stubborn, uh, very determined what they want. And this, I think, is the key um, to become a successful player. Um, you also have to be sounds quite strange what I'm going to say now, but you have to be very egocentric. You have to know what's best for you, and then it works for you. And I never noticed that when I played. I never. I always thought myself like such a nice guy, such an easygoing guy. And then you go to, uh, you start talking to my coach and my wife, and they said, mm -mm, no, you were very egocentric when you played, uh, but in a nice way, and in a good in a good way. I think you have to be egocentric to to make it, because I'm here to, uh, for example, if I would play this this um, this tournament, I'm here to to perform um, in my work in my job. I have to prepare myself as good as I can every single day to make a good practice, to make a good match, and you know to feel strong. And I think most of the players, when they come to a new place, they try to find a restaurant that they like, and then before the match, they always go back. So when I had my run in Melbourne. We always went to the same restaurant and my wife said, please, sweetie, can we go somewhere else? And I said, no, we're going to go here. <laughs> Would you go so, back there right now? If you... Well, it doesn't, that restaurant doesn't exist. Oh. I was looking for it for a few years ago, but it, it, it closed down actually. Um, so, you know, as a friend or as a coach or physiotherapist or you know fitness coach you're there to make a job but the you're there to, for the player to make the best possible performance that they can and then sometimes yes you have to as a coach go back to the same restaurant every second day if you play a grand slam or every day when you play um you know an atp or wta event Yes, you know, I can see why as well, because you don't want to give yourself any stress. Nope. You don't want to be making decisions. What well, You find somewhere you like and just stick at it. Exactly. But what type of coach are you? Uh, what relationship do you have with your players? Do you like hang out with them or do you, is it like a nine to five? Uh, not nine to five is in. I know they're yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I think I, as a player, uh, I had the same coach for 12 years, I think. Uh, Magnus Tiedemann, uh, he's still like a brother to me. Um, and then I was working also with Magnus Norman. And then I had my junior coach, Håkan Jonsson, when I was, um, you know, younger. So I tried to have a very social relationship to them. Uh, I didn't want to have a coach that I was just working with. And then after practice, we said, okay, bye-bye. Let's see you tomorrow morning at nine. This is a little bit how I am as a coach as well. Um, Luckily, all the players that I've been working with have been super nice, very social, um, like to spend time together. Um, and I think that's the strength of a coaching player relationship as well. And I try not to talk too much about tennis. It's about, we spoke about that earlier, switching on, switching off. 
you cannot talk tennis 24-7. Then, then you get drained. Um, so you have to know when to talk. So many times when I work with my players, we talk, of course, a lot on the court. Then we talk maybe 30 minutes after the session or maybe an hour at the most. After that, it's we discuss hobbies, life, uh, relationships, um, uh, you know, trips, uh, holidays, uh, you know, whatever, um, or what's happening in the world. So um, I think it's important. You cannot just be tennis, tennis, tennis. Nice. And all this, by all this experience you have, I know you are one of the coaches. I'm not sure exactly in the Essex Tennis Academy. Yep. You help other coach. You pass your experience to them. Uh, what tips do you have for for coaches out there that want to be just just to just coach players that want to coach high performance players? They may not be traveling every week, but yep. what what can you what can you say that could help them? Um, one thing that I think is very important is to listen. Uh, there is not, how shall I say, there are many ways to become a good player. There's not only one way. And a coach, including myself, cannot know everything. So you have to be, um, how should I say, um, I, tr I always had a, a, a drive to improve not only my tennis skills, but also what is happening uh, mentally when you play, what, what is happening physically, is it something that I can eat to make it better? I always try to find ways to, for my player to improve. But one thing, the strength of a good coach is to listen. Listen to your player. Uh, in the end, it's the player that is holding the racket. Sometimes, and I have done that many times, I have to compromise. Okay, if I want something and I know it's right, I have to try to maybe sometimes implement it in a different way. Um, and also say, you know what, let's try what you said. Let's try it. And then we try my way. And then we analyze after. How do you feel? What is, what is the result? And for me as a coach, I try to avoid that my player makes the same mistakes like I have. And sometimes they are so stubborn yeah. and they say, no, 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 I'm going to go this way. And I said, listen, after a while, you will bang your head against that wall. I've done it millions of times. It doesn't work. But go, go ahead, try, and you will see what I mean. And many times they have tried, ended up, like I said, then they come back. You were right. I should have listened. So sometimes the players also have to make their own mistakes. Yeah. No, it reminds me a little bit. It's a bit what you were touching on just before that was like one of the kids at home would say to me, Danny, let's do it this way. Yes. And you're like, no, no, we can't. It doesn't work that exactly. way. Exactly. But then sometimes you go, oh, I'll just try it. And yeah. it does work. You know, it does. Yes. And you're like, yes. So you got to be, oh, you know, I agree with you. With giving them, letting them do it. It could actually work yes. the odd time. And yes. So you have to be open to. You have yeah. to be open. And sometimes you discover that maybe I was wrong as well. Yeah. So, um, but that you don't have to say. No. <laughs> no, I'm we, just we kidding. But <laughs> well, the final yeah. question is, uh, we're all about like getting 1% better every day, functional tennis with the philosophy that we have. Yeah. Uh, do you live, is that something you would live by or that you acknowledge trying to improve? You did mention it, that you were looking at different ways of improving. So. Yes. And do you have any advice for people to help them keep on track 
Um, I think I come back to, again, what I say, uh, listen. I have, you know, um, I've been a quite a good player, and but I still have a few coaches that I listen a lot to. I ask questions and I listen. And um, while you have some coaches that they say, this is how you're going to do. If you don't listen, then you find another coach. So the, some of them are very stubborn. I'm more, I can, I'm very black or white, meaning that I know what I want. Uh, and I know what my player, I know what, what to do with my player. But at the same time, sometimes you run into problems. Then you need to have, it's the same thing in life. You need to have friends in, 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 if you're in um, like a, a, in the working life or in your job, you need to have mentors. And I've been very fortunate. I have a few people around me that I listen to a lot, like a lot. And then I take in what they say. I try to, you know, um, feel if it's right or wrong. And then I execute. So try to listen to people that have made this journey. And that's why I think one of the reasons why they came up with the, with the ASICS Tennis Academy is to, for in my point of view, is to maybe try to teach other coaches that, okay, why don't you try this instead? Try this with your, um, with your uh, player. Um, do this. Uh, send me videos. Um, I can have a look. Because I think the strength as a coach is to be open-minded, not to be narrow-minded. Be open-minded because you don't know everything. It's impossible. So that's why, for example, today I was so interested in listening to uh, what everybody said. Because I am a person that always wants to improve. Um, so I want to improve 2% per day. Nice. Yeah, I'm uh, just. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite player, by the way? Who's the other, um, if, going to if you could watch one player play tomorrow, past, present, who would it be? I like so many players. They're all so different. Um, I love. I love to watch Novak when when he plays. It looks so effortless. I like to watch Alcaraz when he plays. I like to watch a lot of Curios when he's on. I I love it. Um, in the women, you know, I, I like, I love to see, uh, for example, Ribakina when she's on, when she's swinging, uh, Sviatek, you know, what she did in the Paris is so impressive. So I have so many players and uh, also, of course, the players that I've been coaching in the past, I like to see when they play. And also, of course, I, you know, I love to be on court with the player that I'm with now. So. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Safan, you played him. Mm. He's been training at Piatti. He's yeah. been trying to get into shape. Have you yes. seen him down there? No, we 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 hit a few balls. Nice. Um, <laughs> and he was hitting actually. He did, he hit for one or one and a half hour with Solana. Okay. Um, he, he's in good shape. No. Would you yeah. take him every day? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, he's training for the seniors tour. Yes, he yes, him. yes. He's seriously. Yeah, no, he's Marat is. Um, he's the nicest guy in the world, and we have every time we see each other, we have a lot of fun. Um, 
he's he's uh, he has a big heart. Do you he's ever bring up the old matches with players that you see? Oh, remember that? Yeah, uh, sometimes yeah, we do. Most of them, you know, when you win, not yeah. when you when oh, you yeah. lost. They bring uh, it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was he spends quite a lot of time sometimes in Monaco. And um, uh, when I was uh, coaching Maria Sakari, he was actually uh, practicing with us for 10 days yeah. because he was going to play a senior event he as loves well. It, he it? loves it. And he's a young, like 44, is he? he? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And he's um, still still hitting the ball, unbelievable. Yeah, I saw, put up, we had a video on functional tennis and it went crazy. Like yeah. People absolutely loved it. Really I think it might have been from the, the practice because someone posted something and then it, big, it went viral yeah, that yeah. he he hits the ball so clean so heavy so effortless um so i didn't have the chance to we said that we were going to practice uh, a few days but then i think i had to go away or something he went away we also played a lot of paddle together um he loves that one as well so we we always have a great time and um and also, this is also why, you know, I, I love to spend time here with my former colleagues because now the guard is down. There is no, no competition anymore. We go out for a drink here and there. We, we talk about some of my former colleagues are coaching and then we, you know, we share our thoughts. No and more training secrets. No, 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 exactly. Thank you very much. Tom. Thank you. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Thomas. And our 200th episode. Don't forget, if you have a favorite episode, please let me know. And other than that, I'll be back next week. Bye.